0: The scripture reading for today comes from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, and then 16 through 20. You can follow along on page 6 of your bulletins. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb There they will see me. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age.
1: Thank you, Ariel. Well, today we are finishing up our study of the life and the ministry of Jesus, as we find it in the book of Matthew. And next week, as Yancey mentioned, we'll begin our uh, remembrance uh, of Advent. And so we'll have a new series on Advent as we turn our attention towards Christmas, the Christmas season. So one more look at Matthew. And so first, let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so glad that you are here. and So we know that we're not wasting our time. We're not just uh, running our own minds. We're not just trying to turn up our own hearts. We're not just trying to change ourselves and by our own strength change this world, but rather we have you. We have your Holy Spirit. We have your word. Help us to believe these things, that what we have at our disposal in these moments is nothing less than the very same power that raised you, Jesus, from the dead. And so now raise us also. From all the deadness that remains in our heart. (laughs) This gives us a lot of hope for these next moments. Because you just might do just about anything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I still replay that moment in my head. More times than I care to admit. The very last moments of the very last game of soccer that I played in high school. We were in the playoffs, and it was the quarterfinal game. The score was tied 2-2, to and we were in sudden death overtime, which meant next goal wins the game and moves on. Well, I, yes it was I, committed a lazy foul some 15 yards outside the box, given the opposing team, a set piece, and a half-decent shot at goal. And I can still see, and I'm not kidding you, I can still see that ball sort of spinning oddly in the air, almost in slow-mo, and then floating right above our diving goalkeeper's hand, flailing backwards, outstretched, as the ball drops into the goal. And as I and my teammates dropped to our knees, exhausted, and now feeling like someone just punched us in the gut 37 times. (laughs) Yeah, it was only a game. I know and I agree. But that moment has always helped define for me that feeling of devastation. A word that I'd apply more appropriately to more costly and more painful gut-punch moments later in life. But it was an early lesson, a lesson by experience. I was devastated. And maybe that word describes you today. Devastated. Maybe because you screwed up really badly and you realize you've got nowhere to turn. Or maybe you were working on a broken relationship and the buzzer sounded and suddenly it's over. Or maybe you were chasing a dream and unexpectedly it turned into a nightmare. Devastated. And that's how Jesus' disciples were feeling at the beginning of today's passage. But then, out of nowhere... Hope shows up. Are you ready for hope? Jesus had been brutally tortured and executed. Crucified as a traitor of Rome and crucified as a traitor of God. It was not only the end of his life, it was the end of his movement. For the last three years, crowds in the thousands gathered around Jesus listening to his teaching about the kingdom of God, seeing and experiencing his healings of the sick. What compassion they said. What authority they said. What truth they said. What grace they said. In many cases, people left everything to follow him. Why wouldn't they? They were convinced this is the Messiah. This is the Savior of the world. This is our hope. Nope. Nope. It all came crashing down with violent finality. Unmistakably. It was over. Moreover, his disciples had scattered, hiding and hopeless, now down to 11 because hopelessness can kill, you know. Their worlds were turned upside down. Clearly, their master had been cursed by man and, even worse, cursed by God, abandoned by man and abandoned by God. There would be no coming back from this, would there be? There could be no coming back from this except resurrection. Come on, he told you he was coming back from this. Three days forsaken. Now suddenly awaken. It's early Sunday. There's an earthquake, an angel, an empty tomb. No Jesus, no body, nobody was ready for the angel's words. He is not here. He has risen. He is not here. He has risen. He's not here till he appeared. And the soul felt its worth. Oh, holy morning. Oh, holy morning. Hope. Dearly beloved, Jesus is alive. Let the people say amen. Jesus is alive. But how does this resurrection give us hope? How does it give us assurance for the future? Well, this passage tells us that Jesus rose from the dead, but it doesn't tell us why. You really need to read other parts of the Bible, the New Testament, to find out that answer. And the answer couldn't be more exciting, more compelling, more fulfilling. Because first, the resurrection is proof of your forgiveness. The resurrection of Jesus is proof that Jesus' death was full and sufficient payment for all your sins. Justice was satisfied. Jesus needed to be dead no longer. It was done, finished. If the cross was the price for our sins, Christ's resurrection was the receipt, proving that your sins were paid in full. If you're not sure if Jesus finished the job, or if you're tempted today to believe that you need to finish it for him, look at the resurrection. Here's hope, humble confidence for the day of judgment that you will stand forgiven and righteous in the sight of God guaranteed. That's good news. Second, the resurrection is authentication and vindication for Jesus. Jesus was killed, you know, as a fraud, as an imposter, a traitor, a liar, a sinner. And a megalomaniac's delusions of grandeur. The resurrection corrects the record, doesn't it? The resurrection tells the truth. It restores Jesus' name and reputation publicly, proving that he really is who he said he is the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the one sent from heaven the substitute for you and me before the judgment of God, the Savior of sinners. Here's hope. Here's hope. Assurance that you've banked your life in Jesus on the one whose name is trustworthy and true, and he'll never let you down. Third, the resurrection is the defeat of death. So, what we find there in the resurrection, the defeat of death, Jesus conquered the power of death. We often forget, even close Bible readers, even longtime Christians, that death was introduced into our world as a curse for our first sin. So, when Jesus conquered sin by his death, he also conquered death by his death, which resulted from our sin unto death. One day, then, death itself will be no more. Jesus' resurrection, the Bible tells us, is the first fruits of a future harvest. He's only the beginning, you see. The spectacular glory of Jesus' resurrection is only a glimpse of what one day will be. A multitude, yes, indeed, of you and me and many others drawn from every tribe, tongue, and nation glorified in the sight of God in the person of Jesus you see if you're united to Christ one day you too will be raised from the dead you see here's hope here's hope the resurrection of Jesus is a portrait of what you too will one day be sinless indestructible, indestructible, radiant with glory. That's worth waiting for. Hallelujah. Fourth, the resurrection is the beginning of the new creation. You know, I love this little nerd fact for you. The ancient Christians, when they reflected upon Easter, the resurrection of Christ, the day of Jesus' resurrection, they often called it the eighth day of creation. Because it wasn't just another Sunday. It was the first day of a heavenly calendar that had interrupted our world. It's off the map. To change the metaphor, it's off the calendar. You see, Jesus' resurrection was a sneak preview of our world as it will one day be completely and perfectly renewed, as it was always intended to be, with no more tears, no more alienation from God or alienation from one another, no more pain and no more oppression, no more injustice and no more terrorism, no more cancer, no more autoimmune disease, no more wars, no more divisions, no more miscarriages, no more hurricanes. Here's hope. Injustice don't got the last word. Here's hope. Your sin doesn't got the last word. Here's hope. Death, racism, poverty don't have the last word. Not in this world. Not in God's world. Here's hope. Cancer, tears, and terror do not have the last world. Jesus has the last world. He's risen from the dead. Do you believe it today? Jesus has already begun to unleash the power to defeat sin, evil, and death itself. And so, dear friends, where is your hope most flagging today? Better question, why is your hope flagging today? He's risen from the dead. The down payment of the renewal, even the resurrection of all things. Has already been laid down and paid. There's nothing under the sun and all its brokenness and devastation that Jesus hasn't already begun to address, indeed, will consummate in addressing as he returns to bring all things under subjection to himself and to bring all things to glory. That day is coming soon. You know what, friends? I think I might be able to wait. And labor in the meanwhile to see little flags of resurrection planted on our street blocks, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and across our world. In the various vocations and spheres of life that you're called to. To give little glimpses of resurrection. Glimpses of deadness overturned. Glimpses of life breaking in. Glimpses of hope. Will you be a messenger of hope, an embodiment of hope in your words, in your actions, in your faces as you walk down the street? Which doesn't mean being dishonest about the darkness. There's plenty of darkness around there, isn't there? The Bible doesn't lie about that either. It tells the truth, but here's truth. The light's already begun to shine. And darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world. Have hope, dear friends. Take hope today. Jesus, in this passage, not only points us to the hope of the resurrection, though, but also to the mission of the resurrection because hope fuels us with resurrection energy. Hope propels us out of ourselves, out of the fear of the tomb. Into the lives of other people. Into the world immediately around us. So we find here not just the hope of the resurrection, but also the mission of the resurrection. Take a look. In verse 19, Jesus, when he finally meets with his disciples, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is Christ's commission, what's often called the Great Commission, telling us what our charter and our mandate is, are, as we walk this earth as followers of his. He tells us to make disciples. In the Greek, that's actually one word, to discipleize. In other words, to make followers of Jesus. To call people into relationship with him. To give their lives to him. And then to live for them. So a couple questions we can raise here. What does discipleship entail? What does making disciples entail? Well, first of all, conversion. Jesus says here, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Water is a universal symbol of life. Baptism is a symbol, a sacrament of being brought into the very life of God. Jesus is telling us to call people, to invite people, to bring people, to woo people, to love people right into the life of God. Make disciples followers of Christ, sharing the life and the love and the grace and the truth of Christ indiscriminately to those around you. He also tells us teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, so he's calling us not only to conversion in making disciples, but also to what's often called discipleship, teaching those who have come to follow Jesus To obey everything I have commanded you, Jesus. Everything meaning the words of Jesus and by his commissioning, his apostles. Teaching people how to live a life of character. Teaching people how to live a life of faith. Walking by faith rather than fear. Teaching people to trust not in themselves but rather in him. Teaching people to exercise wisdom in difficult decisions that some of you are facing right now. Teaching people to love your enemies, even as Christ himself has loved us in our hostility against him. Teaching one another to live a righteous life and to labor for justice. To work well faithfully in our respective workplaces, using our gifts and our passions and loves. To serve the common good both in our private lives as well as our public lives. To learn to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus says this too is your calling, your commission in making disciples. But who are we to make disciples of or from? And Jesus tells us of all nations. Again, verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. A theme that Matthew carries out from cover to cover here, Jesus again and again reiterates that his purpose and plan from the very beginning was to extend a powerful redeeming grace that would break through every racial and ethnic barrier that it would extend and rescue unto himself people from every tribe language and nation and Matthew reiterates this again and again That we are to make disciples not just of people like ourselves. That we are to not just share the love of Jesus with people that speak even the same language as ourselves. Nor are we to gather around ourselves churches that are teaching others that only are people like ourselves. But rather to push out and to draw in, without exception, people from all peoples. And people from every ethnic group, as God in his providence, enables us, depending on whatever surrounding community you might live in, to draw from, draw into, and push out into. And praise God, God, in this neighborhood has given us wonderful opportunities opportunities to do just that. And when are we to make disciples? I love this. Jesus is therefore go. And if you're a little bit of a grammar nerd here, you might want to know that that word go in the original language is a participle which can be translated in any number of ways. Either as a progressive as you are going make disciples or as an imperative command paired up with the command of making disciples. In other words, Jesus is probably telling us both that we need to be intentional. Go. Sometimes you need to get up and go to invite people into followership with Jesus. Go to the next cubicle over and build a relationship. Go to a different place of eating and meeting because maybe you'll find someone that's not quite like you that needs to hear the good news of Christ. Go and cross the barriers of oceans in distant lands, in global missions, and especially to communicate to those the love of Christ who otherwise would never hear and have never even heard the name of Jesus. And go crossing the barriers that we find right around us every day of our lives in our own neighborhoods. Because you don't need to cross no ocean to be on mission, right? But you still need to go and to get up with intentionality even with cost to yourself which might include various kinds of cost but it's always the cost of convenience and comfort at least. Go but also to make disciples as you are going. It's not just intentional it's also continual. It's something you do in everyday life in the middle of things as just part of the warp and woof of your daily living. That it would be so embodied into you to be looking out into the world, loving people with a sort of gospel vision of life to say, man, what person doesn't want to share the dearest and truest thing about themselves? What person doesn't want to invite people into a fellowship of comfort and justice and mutual care? to, to, To look upon those around you and to say everywhere you go, in small ways and in big ways, that I be one that shines the light of Jesus, that I be one that shares the light of Christ, that I be one who invites people to consider the grace of God. Are you, friends, today committed to making disciples? Are you committed to making disciples as Jesus, the resurrected Savior, has commanded us to do, both in inviting people to follow him as well as in helping to instruct people to live for him? For some of you, it might be sort of daring to share your faith with more intentionality. It can be intimidating to do, but it can be the most authentic thing for you to do. We want to gather an evangelism team so that we as a church can grow in this. Let us know if you'd like to grow, not because you're an expert, but because you want to grow in this work of sharing your faith. Seeking the baptism of people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as you bring them to that initial point of making disciples. Some of you need to consider what would it look like for you to walk with someone, teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded them. In other words, peer mentorship walking with another person, maybe it means you're jumping in as a neighborhood group leader. Maybe it means you're just being more intentional and in talking with one another about your faith and life under God. That you're not processing events of life or trials or challenges just as you naturally would or as the world would. But you're pressing each other into the word of God. And into accountability under the grace of God. Loving each other and forgiving each other with authentic relationship. Uh, some of you need to step up and consider actually becoming mentors to other people. Uh, maybe that word sounds too big. But it really is just simply what it is. That you're offering yourself to someone that's younger. Or maybe not younger in age. But someone that's just maybe a few steps behind you vocationally or otherwise. And you're walking with them humbly. Not pulling rank on them, but instructing and sharing your own wisdom and insight. Some of you need to become members and uh, mentors and dare to actually take on that mantle. Some of you need to look for mentors. And it doesn't need to be someone that's tons older than you. Again, just a few steps ahead of you. Or there's a such thing as peer mentorship as well. But there's an intentionality in following through with Jesus' command here. That we would be a church that is teaching one another to obey everything that Christ has commanded us in every sphere of life. What would it look like for you to be recommitted or committed perhaps for the first time to this grand project, this mission of making disciples and of all nations, of all peoples, working through boundaries and barriers, both at home and abroad, both in everyday life and with clear intentionality and sacrifice what will that look like for you this week consider it but before I move off at this point I have to point at this one other thing one of my favorite features about this text verse 16 Jesus takes the disciples he meets with them and then we're told that the 11 disciples went to Galilee and before Jesus shared the words that we were just looking at we're told that the disciples went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go if you do any reading of the political and social backdrop to all that was going on in Jesus' day, you got to understand that uh, there was a, a lot of talk about revolution. Uh, the Jewish people were under oppression. We've talked about this before. They operated and lived every day under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And so, of course, there was always plenty of vigor and interest from some parts of the Jewish community to talk about revolt, to talk about a way out. Where did they go? To the mountain. Revolutionaries went up to the mountains. In fact, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, you say, well, what's the mount? Well, it's because in Matthew 5, as Matthew introduces Jesus' teaching, we're told that Jesus took his disciples up a mountain. What was he doing? This is the activity of his contemporaries, guerrilla-organizing, sort of uh, revolution-planning activities up in the hills, the hill country. What is Jesus telling us? He's calling us to this mission of disciple-making. He's calling you, dear friends, to a revolution. To a world-changing movement of ordinary people like you and me who are taking up not arms, but grace. Who are taking up not political power and might, but the power of the Holy Spirit that works itself most deeply and richly through repentance and loving relationships. It's a revolution that begins by those who themselves have been revolutionized by the resurrection of Jesus, who are brought low from their pride, who've confessed their sin, who've reached out to say, Jesus must save me or I die. These are the people that go out now and to say, I would love to be a part of seeing the grace of God change this neighborhood block. I would love to see the grace of God change my house. I would love to see the grace of God revolutionize my workplace. What would it look like for the, the power of of God's resurrection to come upon our nation today. This is an invitation to the most unexpected, most humble, most gracious revolution you could possibly imagine. And this is what Jesus is inviting you to do today. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything Everything that I have commanded you. The hope of the resurrection, the mission of the resurrection, and lastly, the promise of the resurrection. Because where are you going to find the strength to sustain this mission? Where are you going to find the strength? Look at the beginning of verse 19. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, what? What is this command, this mission flowing out of? Uh, What is it? Coming out of, it's a promise. The promise of the resurrection. Verse 19, all authority, sorry, verse 18, second half, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you know this? That there's no power that Jesus cannot overcome. That there's no person that Jesus does not reign over. There's no king or person in any authority position in your life near and far whose heart Jesus cannot direct and redirect. There's no part of this world that is exempt from the authority of Christ breaking in as he wields his redemption and grace, even if in mysterious ways at times. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In verse 20, at the end of this commission, he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always. I am with you always to the very end of the age. He gives us this two-pronged, power-packed promise of his bigness and his nearness. Because when you're feeling small, you need a savior that's looking and looming very big. And when you feel alone, you need to know that he's very near. You need to know that he's sovereign, but you also need to know that he cares. That he has power, but he's also got compassion. A great high priest who's not unacquainted with your weakness because he bore it himself. Even unto death himself. There's nothing that's too big for him, no giant that he can't slay. There's no threat that he can't protect you from. But there's also nothing that can separate you from his love. You will never be alone. You will never be left to your own resources. You will never be abandoned by him. This is your risen Savior. This is the one that's made himself available to you today. Paul Tripp, a counselor and author, I think writes so helpfully on this topic reminding us of the person of Jesus, both his bigness and his nearness. And the reason why we need this today is because we're so afraid. What fears are plaguing you today, eating away at your hope, blinding you to the vision of resurrection? What fears in your relationships, in your life, in the world around us are just crippling you, even paralyzing you? Listen to what Brother Paul Tripp says. This is something I read to our staff on Tuesday. We reflected it on together. If left to myself, I should be afraid. Do you hear that? If left to myself, I should be afraid. There are many trials, temptations, dangers, and enemies in this fallen world that are bigger and more powerful than me. I have to deal with many things that are out of my control. But the message of the gospel is that I haven't been left to myself. That Emmanuel is with me in sovereign authority and powerful grace. He rules with perfect wisdom over all the circumstances and locations that would make me afraid. In grace, he blesses me with what I need to face, what he has decided to put on my plate. Listen to this. I am never in anything, anywhere, at any time by myself. Amen. I never arrive on scene First, I never step into a situation that exists outside his control. Amen. I never move beyond the reach of his authority. Amen. He is never surprised by where I end up or by what I am facing. Amen. He never leaves me to the limited resources of my own little wisdom, strength. And righteousness, and he never grows weary with protecting and providing for me. He will never abandon me out of frustration. I do not need to be afraid. Hallelujah. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Jesus is alive, risen from the dead. And he promises you all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's resurrection hope. That's resurrection mission. That's resurrection promise that you can bank on and take with you this week. Will you? Will we live as people of the resurrection. May the Spirit give us grace to do just that. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you and we ask that you would strengthen us from within. Do it not only individually, but collectively. Jesus, pour out your Spirit and give us the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.